Hey everyone, welcome back to the Filipino American Woman Project. I am your producer, founder, and co-host Jen Amos. And as always, I have my fellow co-host with me who is a blogger and Pinay, Nani Dominguez. Nani, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome back, everybody. Yeah. And let me go ahead and bring on our guests now, because normally they're just sort of sitting around like wondering when they're going to come on. So let me go ahead and bring on Justine Francesca S. Ramos. So Justine Francesca S. Ramos is a poet, an occupational therapy doctorate candidate, and author of Hollow Hollow. Uh, while you're listening to our conversation, we highly encourage you to look her up on Instagram right now. She has two Instagram accounts. You can find her at Justine, letter Y, period R, or at hollowhollow.poetry. Justine, welcome to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, yes. Can't wait. So now that you're on, before we really dive into our conversation today, I want to go ahead and do some housekeeping for our listeners. As you all know, Nani and I invest a lot of our time, more so Nani than me, to be quite honest, but Nani spends a lot of time working on our newsletter. And Nani, remind our listeners why they're missing out if they don't subscribe to our newsletter. Yeah, well, what I do with the newsletter is, yes, I spend actually a considerable amount of time and energy and effort there. So, yes, please go humor me and look at it. (laughs) But basically, it's just the latest news updates, kind of a message from me each week, just kind of keeping a pulse on what's going on in the community and how everyone's feeling and current events that are going on. So we include news and politics updates from both here in the States and over in the motherland. We include places or organizations to donate to if you're looking for somewhere to put your money. (laughs) We include media and news features that Jen and I are in outside of the podcast. What else? As well as like some resources to share with you guys that are both fun, educational, informational, et cetera, that are usually suggestions that we get from people in the community. So if there is anything that you want to promote, whether it be a virtual space or event for Panais or a book that you wrote or that you read, a documentary that you watched, movies, et cetera, et cetera. So just a lot of fun stuff in there. Yeah, thank you for sharing that, Nani. You definitely put a lot of heart and love into it. And I love how you said, like, just humor me and check it out because <laughs> that's what I used to say with the show notes. You remember that? I was like, just yeah. humor me. I worked really hard on them. <laughs> so please check them out. So exactly. all- that's how I feel now. <laughs> yeah, so please humor us. And, you know, we have a really good subscriber list and a pretty decent open rate. I'm not going to reveal the numbers right now, but I feel pretty pleased by the engagement. And even when our subscribers or our community, our family reply to those, newsletters just thanking us. So uh, Nani, I know that we've been actually receiving a lot of feedback uh, from our newsletters. And I know that you have a couple of people that you want to give a shout out to today. So take it away. Yes, I do want to give three shout outs today to some recent feedback that we received about our newsletter. The first one is from Leah J, who sent us an email saying, Dear Nani and Jen, Maraming Salama for this awesome Tifa Project newsletter. Seeing our Kababayan represent us in the current political landscape ensures me that we are heading in the right direction. A grateful fan. Love, Leah. And Leah, we love you too. Thank you so much for subscribing to our newsletter and reading it and for your feedback on this. Obviously, I work really hard on the newsletter. And so that means the world to me (laughs) that you are reading it and, you know, getting 
benefiting from it. So yeah, again, if there's anything that you guys want to include in the newsletter that you think would be relevant for us to share with the community, please feel free to reach out to me anytime via email, nani at tifaproject.com or text us at 415-484-8329. Yeah, Leah, thank you so much for responding. It's always great. Again, you know, we can't emphasize enough how much we appreciate hearing from our listeners, our family, uh, you know, that supports our show. The biggest thing I learned from our conversation with Caitlin and Eileen Nani in our episode about Filipino-American women in politics, which I believe was episode 89, is that, you know, I, I really loved how she said that, you know, I like first and foremost, I kind of align. So episode 89, which you can find obviously on our website, uh, Caitlin uh, said something very powerful when it comes to politics, because, you know, I've been studying like all sides, all parties, you know, just to kind of get a better understanding of like what's going on. And one thing that really resonated with me, Nani, is when Caitlin said, which is actually the title of this episode, my politics are informed first and foremost by my identity as Filipino American women. I thought that's very powerful because despite like in a way, it's like it doesn't matter which side of you know the political spectrum you are. At least on our show, I think what is most important to us is seeing ourselves represented in different aspects and different areas of life. I mean, hence, if you like even listen to the first 10 episodes of our show, you'll find that we all are so different. Um, and so and so to see that there's, at least in the email, the last email that you shared, Nani, where it really shows like who are the Filipino Americans right now in politics, like that's what I want to focus on. And, and that's what also Eileen mentioned as well is like, where is our representation? Like who's going to actually understand us from like an intimate level? Because they understand that from personal experience, as opposed to other politicians who can only sort of understand, but not really. It's very, it's almost superficial. And so that's why I really, I like that. And or Leah or Leah, I'm not sure how she pronounces her name because I mistake that quite often. So I apologize, Leah slash Leah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, just being able to see that representation is important, you know, because at the end of the day, we got to look out for ourselves and in our community. And so thank you for acknowledging that and, um, you know, reminding us that as a community, we are headed in the right direction. Yes, absolutely. Okay. And next, <laughs> what's okay, next, next? Anani? <laughs> Next, I want to share a email that we received, and I'm only going to read just the first paragraph of it because this person, A, is going to be interviewed on the show at some point, and mm -hmm. B, the rest of the email that she sent us is, you know, pretty personal and asked some mm -hmm. pretty direct questions to us, so we want to respect her privacy, but she just says, hi, Nani and Jen, my name is Michelle, I'm from Helena MT, is that Montana? Yes. I don't know what MT I'll look it up. But what state I'm pretty sure it is. is, but you guys will know because you're smarter than me. She says, I learned about your show from my older sister who now lives in a more culturally, culturally diverse city in Montana. Oh, yes. Okay. There I was right. There you go. I yeah. just listened to episodes 85 and 84 and 82 and 81. I don't know what happened to 83. My phone somehow skipped it. Ha ha. The episodes about being a Phil Am in college and the episode when sisters were talking and acknowledging they grew up together in the same household, but were still raised differently, really hit close to home. I think that was our episode with your family, Jen. Yep. Mm -hmm. She said, thank you. I completely relate. I also appreciated that talk about experiencing an identity crisis as a Filipino American. Mm -hmm. I have been in that identity crisis for the last three going on four years. 
Um, And again, the rest of her email goes on um, to get, you know, into the intricate details of her personal um, experience with that. But I did just want to share briefly what she said and give her a shout out for reaching out and for wanting to share her story on the show, which she will be doing Mm -hmm. in the coming months, as well as I think her sister, who she mentioned in the first part of her email. I think we're going to interview both of them. So I'm excited to meet them virtually and get to learn more about their stories. Yeah. Well, thank you, secret person. Michelle, for- Michelle. Her name oh, is Michelle. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, thank you, Michelle. I thought we were keeping anonymous. I was like, thank you, Michelle, for your feedback. And yeah, I think you're talking about the episode I had with my sister and my mom. And, you know, I learned later in life, there was a good portion of my life where I had dealt with a lot of uh, issues within my family that I felt compelled to protecting my sister from them. And because I thought that she would go through the similar things and I was absolutely wrong. You know, she was raised differently. You know, uh, she was the youngest of three and my mom talked to her differently than she did with me. And so, you know, there's a part, and I think we talked about this on the show and I said it to her that, you know, I felt a sense of regret and I asked her to forgive me for kind of protecting her from getting to know family because in my mind, I thought that she was going to go through the same experience and I needed to protect her from that. And so, you know, to your point, Michelle, uh, yeah, like we were absolutely raised differently and, and it is very interesting. Like, you know, you think you're in the same household that you're going to go through the same things, but you really are not. I think that's why I see my sister so much as an equal because her worldly view is so different and her experiences are so different than mine that I've always kind of made it a point to just like kind of experience her and, and be there for her if she needs me, but not you know, I've learned to like, not tell her what to do and who to be kind of thing. If if anything, if I tried to model, if I wanted to do something, I would just model it for her. And if she noticed great. And if she didn't great, you know, so that's what I think about when you bring up that episode. So thank you for bringing that up. Yes. Thank you, Michelle. Shout out to you Mm -hmm. and your sister. Yes. So the next shout out I want to give is to someone who you all should know by now if you regularly (laughs) listen to this show, and that is our resident, official resident historian, Stacey (laughs) Salinas from the Below Sun Center at UC Davis. And she just shared a screenshot of our newsletter maybe this last week or two weeks ago. I don't know when this was now with a little note saying everyone should sign up and check Tifa's newsletter, needing weekly news updates on the Philippinex diaspora written with Pinay Sisterhood Feels. Join their mailing list and check out their podcast. So thank you, Stacy, for that Woo-hoo. shout out. We love you as always. And you know that. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I mean, she just pours so much love into our project and I feel so honored to have known her for so long now at this point. I mean, we first chatted, I think in early 2017. And so it's just really cool to see the journey that we've gone on like individually and then now together. And, you know, it's thanks to her that we have interns, you know, for our show. So Stacy, you already know this, but, you know, it never hurts to give you another compliment. We love you. We appreciate you. And we're just so happy to be sisters. And yeah, I think that's it, right, Nani? Anything else? Any other feedback? Nope, that's it. If you guys want a shout out, then you know what to do. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you know, I think we've repeated it like a number of times right at this point. So I'll repeat it one more time, though. If you all want to get a hold of us, of course, subscribe 
subscribe to that newsletter and reply, you know, don't just read it, but reply, you know, let us know what stands out to you. You know, yeah, let us know like what you like about our newsletter. This newsletter is for all of us and we want to make sure that it's beneficial for all of us, you know, so like we want to hear from you. And of course we have our phone number and we have our emails and we have our website, we have all that. And if for whatever reason you still don't know how to get a hold of us, then I don't know. I I don't know. I just want to say I love you and thanks for listening. How about that? <laughs> just wrap up with that. All right. I think that's it, Nani. The last thing before we really dive into our chat with Justine today is I've been updating our sponsor list, Nani, and I've decided for today's sponsor to talk about what I do for a living because I realize that I don't talk about it enough. And I just think it's really important for our listeners to know, like, Jen, what do you do outside of podcasting, right? So my husband and I run a company called US Vet Wealth, and we primarily focus on providing what I kind of call alternative financial education and flexible financial solutions for our career military families. Now, I know in our Filipino community, everyone either knows a veteran or knows someone who served or has served. And for me, that was my dad. He served in the 80s and 90s. And of course, a lot of the reason like why I'm American is because of him and my family having joined the military. And so I just realized I don't talk about that enough, Nani. So I just wanted to let you all know, you know, part of the funding, part of how the show is possible is because of the money I make at US Vet Wealth. So I thought you should all know like where that's coming from. And for people that are really interested in learning more about kind of our philosophies and what I mean by flexible financial solutions, my husband has a book. It just came out on Veterans Day on 2020. So check it out. It's called Veteran Wealth Secrets. And today you could actually download the first three chapters for free by visiting our website, veteranwealthsecrets.com. So it's a really good read. Even if you're not military affiliated, I think the philosophies there, I think entrepreneurs can really relate to the philosophies we talk about in terms of money. So go ahead and check that out. And yeah, that's it. That's what I do for a living. I just realized I don't really talk about it enough, Nani. So yeah. I don't know, thoughts? <laughs> well, congratulations to you guys. Well, Scott, but I'm sure you also played a huge hand in creating that book and getting it published. So uh, it's big true. ups to you guys for that. Yeah. Thanks, Nani. Yeah. Even though his name's on it, you know, I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, this is going to sound controversial, but just let me go with it. I'm like Emilda Marcos in the documentary Kingmaker, <laughs> where I work behind the scenes. Okay. Like, so that's I my... actually did all of this work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was good credit. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's because of me. So just so I you know, the reference, I get the reference. I'm his Emilda Marcos, but not in the dictatorial way. And I get, a zoo, I get like a whole zoo on an island. I don't do that. That's not me. But yes, Kingmaker right here with US Fed Wealth. Um, all right. All right. Anyway, that's it. That's all I want to talk about for announcements today. Let's go ahead and bring on Justine. So Justine, hello again. Hello. I'm so excited for your book. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. It is my book. No, <laughs> it should have been co-authored. <laughs> it's fine. No, it's it's fitting the way that it is. And it is what it is. I'm really happy about it. And actually, you know, we have had talks about me getting a book done in the future as well. So, you know, I'll have my time to shine. It's fine. Yes. It's fine. Yeah, I shine in other ways. I don't need to be on his book. It's fine. So Justine, let us know, for starters, how did you hear about our project and what compelled you to join us on our show today? Yeah. So when I first started my book journey, it was when I started getting more engaged with the Filipino community at UCLA. 
And we have a lot of connections to the Bulosan Center mm. and a lot of Filipino scholars and professors. And when I started my Instagram, I started following a bunch of um, Filipino pages. And I was so amazed by how expansive our community is and how mm-hmm. creative our community is and how we are actively working against a lot of the stereotypes that we're expected to kind of meet and you know, finding these creative outlets and the Filipino American woman was one of these accounts that I found. And later I found that a lot of my my peers and my professors actually knew about the Filipino American Women Project. Oh, Wilson Center. So yeah. yeah. Oh, I love it. Any names, any shout outs you want to give to anyone who like knows about our show? Yeah, shout out to Professor Dominguez at uh, UCLA, Professor Acabado, who runs the base internships at UCLA, which is called Samahang Filipino Community Empowerment Bases. We really enjoy your content, and we've actually had projects where we had to engage with Filipino podcasts and creatives to wow. like, yeah, to kind of like write about how a lot of our generation is really diving into other fields mm. um, instead of the ones like nursing or like other medical fields. And yeah, I love it. I love it so much. Wow. That's really humbling to hear. Nani, any thoughts yeah. from you? Just kind of knowing that people are using us for research or homework. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that makes me feel like, wow, I really need to be more like <laughs> serious and, and put together here. <laughs> no, no, that's that's part of our magic is our looseness, I think. Mm-hmm. But anyway, no, I think that it's great that you guys can find resources like us through things like social media, you know, right. and these days, I think Jen and I are pretty like turned off by social media right now and just like kind of exhausted by it. But that is one thing that I'm really grateful for. You know, it's it's being able to be purpose that way and connect us with people like you guys in such large institutions that are using us for like research purposes on actual like, (laughs) like significant work. So that's uh, very flattering. Yes. And shout out to very significant. So don't worry. about it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I absolutely appreciate that. Just like what you said, Nani, it's like, oh man, I should probably not come on these conversations drinking alcohol or, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like I should probably be a little more poised, but you know what? This is part of I mean, being a Filipino American <laughs> oh, yeah. It's not yes. that different. That's Everyone right. there is right. like relatable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we still fit in because even though we're like older millennials, like we yeah. still drink too. We still party too. Just so we y'all can know. still party. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We're not that old yet, but I don't think I will ever feel old. To be honest, I think I'm just going to be a kid young, at heart spirited forever, for so. life. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I love that's that. That's the goal. Yeah, that's what we're hoping for. And you know, really having conversations like this, I think like part of, I think having these types of conversations do keep you feel youthful, you know, like just kind of realizing that we're all trying to figure it out. (laughs) You know, we're all like on the same boat and no matter how much we know, I mean, I know that the beginning of 2020, we all had goals and aspirations and, you know, big checklists or what have you. And then, you know, 2020 took a turn and we're all starting from scratch, essentially. We're all kind of starting back at ground zero. And so it just comes to show that like, you know, we need community to thrive. And it's not just about feeling like you know it all and you could do it all. It's like, no, when shit hits the fan like that, like we need community. And I'm just so grateful that, you know, at least through 2020, we had just such an amazing community of people on here who still wanted to be on and share like what was going on with them even during the pandemic. So anyway, all good stuff. I just thought I'd add that. (laughs) All right, so Justine, 
this show is called the Filipino American Woman Project for a reason. On paper, we say that it's for individuals who live or have lived in America that are of Filipino descent and identify as female, pronoun she, her. And we have also invited the non-binary narrative. You know, for me though, Nani, it's kind of like if people want to be on the show, like we haven't really stopped anyone from being on the show. It just so happens that a lot of people who resonate with the label Filipino American woman have stepped up. And so, uh, Justine, I thought I would ask you, you know, tell us a little bit about your family background and why you identify as a Filipino American woman. Yeah. So I actually immigrated to the United States when I was about two and a half. It was a very typical immigration story. My Mm -hmm. parents were nurses in the Philippines, educated as nurses. But when we were here, we found ourselves living in un, I guess, not ideal situations. My parents had to take up jobs as caregivers that didn't pay as much as much as a nurse. Mm-hmm. And they didn't really utilize their nursing training in that field as much. But mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people in our community find themselves in that sort of situation where they can't really practice their full potential here in America or because their education is looked down upon because mm-hmm. they don't have the proper documentation or because they're immigrants, you know, mm-hmm. but we thrived and we survived. I like to say, and my dad was able to pass the NCLEX exam and my mom started her own business. So she didn't actually okay. even end up doing nursing. She started a, a like buy and box company. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Love yeah. it. Yeah. So all throughout my life, even though I came here at such an early age, I was so connected with my community because my family was all I knew. We spoke Tagalog in the house. We had very, very strict um, like cultural traditions and we made sure to communicate back to the Philippines. They tell me stories about, you know, how I grew up and how they grew up. And I've never felt disconnected to the homeland. So even though I am a hyphenated, I guess, American, I don't feel any less Filipino or any less American in that sense, especially because when we started the Balik Bayan Box company, I would meet families from across Los Angeles, like just trying to help their families survive. And that gift of the Balik Bayan Box and seeing that generosity every day just really empowered me to keep ties with the community. It shows me that even though we're thousands of miles away, that doesn't stop us from engaging with our families in the Philippines. And so that's a little bit about my background. And yeah, we moved around. In California, there's a particularly large Filipino population compared to Virginia. And, uh, I mean, uh, there's a lot of Filipinos here. The Filipinos here will tell you there's a lot of Filipinos here, just so you know. But Oh, really? But I would say that, my, oh yeah, there's a whole, I mean, I'm not going to get into it. I'm just, I'm just kidding. But no, the ones here, they're like, oh, we're like the number one population on the East Coast. I mean, I'm still learning. Like I'm, I'm only two years out here, but because we're a military town, like there's a lot of Filipinos oh, yeah. that are out here as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I will say that most of our listeners right now are mainly in California, which makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense because there's a lot of Filipinos there as well. So anyway, I just thought I'd put in that plug. Go ahead. Continue. Yeah. <laughs> well, our town was called Eagle Rock and it was like, mm. it was like the Philippines. Like we had a Lutong Bahay around the corner. Mm-hmm. We had Secret City around the corner. We had everything that you could find in the Philippines in this community. But when we later moved out of that community, I realized that I didn't actually know a lot of Filipino people my age. I mm. didn't, I wasn't surrounded by, you know, Filipinos 
who were younger and like were millennials or like Gen Z, they were all older people who have kind of just settled down in this like small Filipino town that reminded them of home. And when we moved to like a more, I guess, community that had more of a white population, that's when I started feeling disconnected to my identity. When I was away from the Filipino foods and the Filipino stores and my mom stopped her by like buying box business to do finance. That was when I felt really distant from the community. Mm -hmm. Even though I went to the Philippines almost every year, I felt like I couldn't be Filipino if I wasn't there in the homeland. And it wasn't until college, in my last year of college, where I started engaging with the Filipino community, where I felt most at home, where I felt, you know, like a child again, back in the Balik Bayan box store, back in that Eagle Rock community with a bunch of Filipinos. And I really wondered why I was hesitant to join right away. And it was because of the fear of not being enough. Mm. You know, there were so many students who were straight from the Philippines who came here when they were like 15 or 16 and I felt like I wasn't able to really match their kind of to match the kind of full Filipino identity I felt whitewashed I guess you could say because I was part of like white communities for so long and yeah that's kind of what inspired my book is like navigating the Filipino American identity and what that really means from someone who is thousands of miles away from their country, but also not, and mm-hmm. is also really engaged with their family and their community, but at the same time, not really. <laughs> yeah. It's Nani, interesting. I just, yeah, I thought I'd check it yeah. with you first. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, it's interesting how we all interpret like our connection to our Filipino identity so differently. You know, it sounds like you really grew up with like the best of both worlds, being able to both stay in touch with like your Filipino-ness and also become like a true Filipino-American and how you immediately kind of recognize that difference as soon as you left Eagle Rock and you didn't have, you know, the Filipino stores or food or anything that reminded you of your culture. Um, just kind of at your beck and call. And even though you grew up with that, so it was obviously instilled in you, you know, the fact that you felt like that was taken away from you is just so interesting to me because in my view, you know, that will always be a part of you and it shaped who you are essentially. So there's no one, no matter where you go, that can take that away. So yeah, it is just interesting to me to hear people's interpretations. And I would be curious to know like what the people around you would say and if they would interpret it the same way, because yeah, it doesn't seem like that at all to me. It seems like you're very like in touch and in tune with yourself and you know, you know, confidently who you are and where you come from. Again, no matter where you are or where you end up in this side of the world. <laughs> uh, I think a huge part of it was the lack of representation I saw mm. in school or in the media or, mm-hmm. or anything really. The only way Filipinos really represented in the media, if it was like kind of like a butt of a joke or like a nursing joke or something. And it's really sad to me that I didn't learn about any of this, of our Filipino American history until college. That is what really made me who I am today. The more like centered and kind of knowing of who I am is learning that my people had a role in how America has played out here today. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that you have to work so hard or wait so long to even have access to that information. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And people still don't. 
Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have to dig um, for it, <laughs> especially if you're not in academia, you know? Yeah. Hence why we have this show. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Bring it back full circle. <laughs> yeah. 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 Reminding you all. Uh, yeah. I mean, part of the, actually part of the reason why I started the Tifa project is because I wanted to give easier access to people like us to learn about us. Just like you, Justine, I didn't really learn about Filipino American history till college. And even then I felt so disconnected to what I was reading. Like I remember studying, I took Filipino American history. Like that was the class I took. And I just felt so disconnected to the facts and figures and the years and everything that was on paper. Quite honestly, it's really in the recent years where I've been, I think this has a lot to do with my husband's influence and him being a history buff. And he's constantly paying attention to the news. And at first I was just like, I was like, just like, keep that to you. Like, I'm going to go watch like (laughs) TV shows at the end of the day, but no joke in the recent years, I've kind of like, even literally last night, like I was just reading a book about history, you know, like I was just like, so into it. I was, I mean, it was an audio book and I was playing Tetris. So then it's like, I had like visual something and I can listen on the side. And one thing that kind of makes me feel connected to my husband actually is Douglas MacArthur, who actually helped the Philippines during World War II, eventually had to flee. And his famous words were, I will return. Anyway, Douglas MacArthur was actually a West Point grad. So my husband actually went to West Point, which is the school for like people Oh my God, I'm like totally going to butcher this. So West Point yep. is the military school for people who are joining the army and become like army officers. And so it's been really interesting to now like understand American history and see how I fit into it. But it took me later in life to really feel that connection, you know? And so I say all that, reeling it back in, and finally coming in full circle here. I say all that because, you know, Ganani was explaining or kind of making an observation of how interesting like your situation is. Like, I also think it's just interesting in general, how we all learn about our culture and our history, or we connect to it differently at different times in our lives, you know? And so mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's quite fascinating. And that's it. I think that's all I wanted to say. That was very anticlimactic, but I hope, uh, <laughs> I hope that like makes sense. So that was that. I wanted to mention that. The other observation I wanted to make in you talking, Justine, is that Isn't it interesting how America, you know, colonized the Philippines, like after the Spaniards and, you know, they put the American history into like the Philippines school system. And yet Mm -hmm. when your parents come over here, their education is obsolete. Like, isn't that, isn't that interesting? It's like, we are told to be like you, but then we come to America and we can't be like you. Like what we learned in the Philippines after you've colonized us is not Mm -hmm. transferable. So Mm -hmm. I'm just going to leave that there. I just think it's an interesting observation and definitely shows like, I don't know, the double standard (laughs) and everything. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's always pride in the work that we have to do here, right? Whether it be because you're a nurse in the Philippines and you're a caregiver here, or you were a doctor in the Philippines and now you're a nurse here. There's still pride in, in the occupations that you take up here. But what I've learned because of the, my background in occupational therapy is that sometimes there's always that disconnect of like your potential not fulfilling itself. You're like, mm. you're not fulfilling your potential, I mean, because you're limited by the barriers that some white guy kind of enforced upon your country, right? Yeah. So that's an ongoing frustration I have is the audacity of the United States to enforce American values and American education upon the Philippines, but coming here, say you're still less than. 
Yeah. I think it's also comparable to like the conversation that we were having a couple episodes, Jen, about people from the Philippines serving in the military on behalf of America and then ended up not getting their benefits or not being able to access their GI Bill and things like that. You know, it's kind of a running theme that you see that once you start to connect those dots, I think you can learn a lot that's not documented or written or explicitly explained in history, American history books. Yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, this is just a theory. I just made this up just now, but I feel like maybe that's part of where our imposter syndrome comes from, right? Because we want to be successful, but historically we weren't allowed to be right. Like it's like we were given the impression that we could be successful. And then, you know, before you know it, there's some kind of glass ceiling or some double standard. So um, yeah. Anyway, I think this is interesting for our listeners. I'm sure they'll contemplate about this and probably text us about it and let us know, but it's an interesting discussion to say the least. Oh yeah. yeah. We could go really deep into it, but adding on to the <laughs> theory, like that could also be the cost of colonized mentality. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, do you guys know what one down media is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, so they do. had this really great conversation about why do so many Filipinos support Trump? Right. Mm-hmm. And they have like a bunch of reasons why look that up. The military or yeah, I think like, I posted that thread on my Instagram yeah. story. <laughs> it was such a great thread. Yeah. And a part of it is because of colonized mentality, because we have been trained since we were young in the Philippines, especially that America is the savior of all. That America is mm-hmm. the ideal place to be. That America can save us from, you know. Yeah, no, but save yeah. us from what is the, you know, yeah. it's the question mark, like save us from ourselves. No, we can do just fine. We just need that mentality switch or that mindset switch that, you know, our confidence can kick into play instead of being kicked down all the time yeah wow yeah we could definitely go down a rabbit hole with this conversation yeah but for now we're gonna pause right there and switch gears I think I mean I don't know is there anything else you guys want to add I feel like I feel like I have to think about this <laughs> like after the fact but yeah, I think this a is a good yeah I think this is a really cool thing to discuss and I'm so glad we somehow ended up here this is why I love the style of our show is like oh let's just go down this <laughs> rabbit hole and see what, what we find down there But Justine, thank you so much for telling us a little bit about your family background. And, you know, one more thing I wanted to mention is that I find it so fascinating. I've always thought that if you were born in the Philippines and you come here, you fully embrace being Filipino. But it constantly blows my mind when I do hear people who were born in the Philippines and they come here and they feel like they're not Filipino enough. It's like, man, does anyone feel Filipino enough? Like you can be born there and you're still not (laughs) Filipino enough. Like it's just, it's a fascinating thing to observe and to unpack. But I appreciate you, you know, again, sharing your background because it just kind of brings up this common theme of like, are we enough of anything? You know, it's this ongoing conversation, but we're here to say we are. So there you go. (laughs) Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What our country has suffered from really is this loss of identity because of years of colonization. You know, there was like this common phenomenon where a lot of Filipinos would not really identify themselves as Filipino, but they'd be like, oh, well, like I'm part Japanese and Chinese and I'm a little bit of Spanish, you know, but not fully calling themselves Filipino. And again, that ties back to our history and our like years of colonization that has really affected how we think about ourselves. Yeah, yeah that's all I want to say. 
<laughs> jumping out of the hole. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, 100%. I I feel everything you're saying. I just wrote a whole blog post about this, so. <laughs> oh, which you can all check at <laughs> notesbynani.com. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I will help with the shameless plugs. All right, everyone. Well, let's go ahead and shift gears, Justine, and talk about life today. You know, in these interesting, crazy, fill-in-the-blank times, what keeps you busy or excited about life nowadays? So my book has been a huge part of me, like climbing out of 2020 and Mm. kind of grounding myself and learning more about my community and my history, even out of academia. Mm. You know, it wasn't really until my last quarter at UCLA where I started learning more about cultural connections and historical events that have happened right here in Los Angeles and how um, Filipinos played a huge role in the labor movement and how Filipinos have played so many roles in the wars that America has fought, yet we haven't been compensated for anything. So learning more about that and along with our ancestors in the Philippines and kind of like the indigenous roots of Filipinos in general is what has been really keeping me busy just there's so much to uncover it's kind of like an onion peel Mm. at first like the first layer is like okay Filipino American history you know and the second layer is like well were Filipinos before they were American like who were the first Filipinos in the United States and then it becomes who were the first Filipinos in the Philippines and it's like this huge rabbit hole that's really influenced the content of my book and yeah so my book has been really keeping me busy I was writing like maybe four to five poems a day and throughout the week maybe like 50 to 60 and I would flush them out with my editor to see which were the ones that were going in my book but yeah I had like a seven eight month period where I would just write poetry as soon as I got home from work yeah wow that's beautiful so the poem your book is basically a culmination of poems that are influenced by all these things that you are learning by peeling back the onion layers I'm just trying to get an understanding yeah great wow very cool um, yeah, my book is uh, called Halo Halo. Oh my God, I forgot the little timeline at the end. A mix of. <laughs> Let me see if I can look it up. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> History, it's probably in your notes. Identity, revelation, and revolution. And each of those are chapters. And I start with history and I get down to the book. I peel all the onion layers of history, culture, the revolutions that have happened in the Philippines and the revolutions that have happened here. And mm. the last chapter is identity because the culmination of history, culture, revelation, revolution is who we are as Filipino Americans and Filipino people. So yeah, that's been really keeping me busy. I found out a lot about my own ancestry and like the people I was related to in the Philippines that took part in the revolution. So that was really empowering. And yeah, this 2020 has been rough politically, like with the virus and like Trump being in office and all of that. But it's also been like a time of self-reflection for myself and 
understanding who I am finally after 22 years. <laughs> and yeah. um, not well, hey, I'm 33. I'm still figuring it out. So you're you're good. Like, it's a never ending <laughs> journey. Yes. <laughs> you're, I'm sure there's more to come. You're doing all right, Justine. <laughs> I didn't write a book when I was 22. That's for sure. Yeah. No, that's awesome. I want to read this book. Are the poems written from the perspective of like the people that you were reading about? Or are they written more from like your perspective? Based Definitely on your from my perspective. Mm-hmm. I try incorporating kind of perspectives from people in the Philippines looking at America. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of poems where I actually personify the U.S. as a country and the Philippines as a country and have them like exchange conversations with each other and imagining what they would say to each other and wow. how that would play out. So I love how imaginative that is. Like what a cool idea. I'm just wondering, have you showed this book to like your parents or anyone in your family that kind of influenced your want to even explore this? Yeah, I've definitely showed some poems to my mom and my dad and they're incredibly proud of me and they are still finding it difficult to understand why there's this disconnect within like the younger generations that have been here to the Philippines Mm -hmm. because they grew up in the Philippines and that's all they know. Of course, they struggled with kind of settling down here and kind of experiencing oppression and discrimination. But I feel like we have really lived the full fledge of, you know, kindergarten all the way up to college and beyond that and experiencing what it is to be truly American while also mangling with the Filipino identity and how that influences our Americanness. Yeah, I'm sure they're learning a lot about the hyphenated American and what that entails. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy to me how they don't even know about a lot of Filipino history. And I learned that it was because Filipino history was actually extracted out of schools for so long and replaced with American history. Mm-hmm. So they didn't even like learn about like stuff that was happening at their own in their own time in their own space yeah yeah in their own space and it's like which is still the case by the way I I mentioned that on one of our past episodes and in the Mm -hmm. newsletter about how there's a petition going around to get Philippine history put back installed back into the curriculum and it's just like why would you not teach Philippine history in the Philippines like can you imagine going to school in America and not having American history as a required subject like Mm -hmm. (laughs) a lot of schools in the Philippines like won't even allow you to speak any kind of Filipino language. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. It's like English. I was saying, how did my dad, you know, stay there for so long and come back and he knows no Tagalog. He doesn't speak nothing. So I have nieces in the Philippines who don't know any Tagalog and they like were born and raised in the Philippines their whole lives. Right. And that's why like everything that you learn and the fact that it's so hard to like even find out this information if you don't have access to like people like in our community or whatever you you have in academia these days. It's like everything that you find out, every layer of the onion that you peel back is like such injustice. And it just like sparks such like fire in my heart. Yeah. Yeah. Relevant education is so important. 
I have a club at UCLA. It's like Filipino community. And they were talking about how in the Philippines, when kids learn their ABCs, they learn that A is for apple, even though apples don't naturally grow in the Philippines. Mm. They were like, A should be for ampalaya or like something else. Like what is an apple? (laughs) Wow. Yeah. See, just little things like that just add to my like, ugh. (laughs) disgust you know and it just makes it feel so impossible like how do you even at this stage try to reverse that you know how do you try to reverse that erasure of culture and identity that has been just going on for so many fucking excuse my French sorry so many freaking centuries it's just (laughs) ridiculous yeah the miseducation of the Filipino it's uh, it's real yeah reality yeah because of platforms like this and you know the work of like your blogs or like poetry or any form of like outlet we're trying to educate our community now and change that kind of cycle that's been going on for centuries one down is like a great example of Mm -hmm. that i love their content they're so good Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i want to take this moment in time to celebrate how we've been kind of able to lift like look behind the curtain and really see what's happened to us and our country, I think the start of change is awareness, you know, is recognizing like, oh my gosh, like we've been colonized. Like, I mean, I didn't even know that when they're teaching the alphabet in the Philippines, A is for apple and apple doesn't grow (laughs) in the Philippines. Like I didn't even, I didn't even know that, you know? And I was telling my husband the other day, I was like, you know, I was like, you know, my mom, like she used to be as dark as me when she was younger, but Like for all that I've known her, she's been pale because she's purposely lightened her skin to look like the colonizer. You know, she has all the papaya soap. Like every time she visits the Philippines, even though it hasn't been lately because of everything, but like every time she visits the Philippines, she would always have like an extra space in her suitcase to like stuff all the papaya soap. Like with an icon. Oh my God. Yeah. And then in the bathroom, like, you know, if I visit her, which I can't right now because it's pandemic and she's all the way in the West Coast, but, you know, if I were to like ask for soap, she would give me, you know, a papaya soap or she'd give me like some kind of whitening soap of some sort. And so it's just really interesting to observe and to unpack. And I'm happy that we're here. You know what I mean? Like, I'm happy that we've made it in this time to see it for what it is and be the change that we want to see. And part of it is bringing it to light and talking about it. And for me, it's like in the recent years, or especially in the recent weeks with, you know, just how politics has been and every everything in America, you know, it's like, I've been studying, like, I just, I've been reading books, I've been trying to understand different perspectives, ultimately, because at the end of the day, like, I want to know how to show up in this world. It's like, what does all of this mean? Like, first of all, what does it mean? And what does it mean for me? And, you know, in all that I learned, I love sharing it on here. Cause like, Hey, this is what I've learned. And, you know, Nani has mentioned this a number of times, but what we love about our show is that collectively we're learning together and we're helping each other out by, you know, having people like you be able to publish a book called Hala Hala, you know, just really contributing to our overall community and saying, Hey, like, this is how we can learn together, grow together. We can have these deep discussions together and I'm here for it. I love it. So yeah, I explore a lot of community conditions in my, my book. And I actually have a poem called Glutathione. I have a range of poems about skin whitening and mm. like 
celebrating Eurocentric features and kind of demonizing more Filipino, traditional Filipino features and where that all kind of is rooted in. So I'm excited for people to read that. That's how I've kind of tried to untangle all of the, I guess, community conditions that have been ingrained in me since I was younger. And for a while, I was like angry at that. I was like, why was this okay? You know, like, why was it okay for me to walk into a seafood city and look at aisles of whitening soaps and like... That is quite bizarre if you think about it. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up with ants coming over my house and my dad's a nurse and they bring like butterfly needles and their glutathione like serums and they'd have my dad injected into them and I would see that and I was oh like oh my god oh my god why gosh. would I think that was normal like That's that is aggressive. not normal at all <laughs> no yeah. not at all yeah what I think is funny about the whole like whitening skincare stuff I've spent like a considerable amount of time educationally and professionally in the cosmetics industry so you know what you learn about skincare is that like you wash your face which is your cleanser and then you put your treatment on which would be whatever kind of whitening, you know, whether you want to whiten your skin or use retinol for wrinkles or acne medication, whatever kind of treatment you want to put on your skin, and then you moisturize. But when you go into Seafood City or any of the, you look at any of the um, Filipino like uh, skincare products, everything says whitening on it. Like as if a cleanser is a treatment or as if a moisturizer is a treatment. And it's like, no, you <laughs> putting moisturizer on your face is for moisture. It's not going to help you whiten your skin. So yeah. I think that's funny. And that the fact that so many people play into that and it's like such a staple mm-hmm. that they insist on passing down to their kids and their grandkids and et cetera is crazy to me. Yeah. And it perpetrates in like these celebration of Eurocentric beauty stance standards, right. colorism too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, through my own research, I found that the standard of beauty really started with Maria Clara in mm-hmm. um, Jose's yeah. book. We know her so well. Yeah. <laughs> and it had a huge influence. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. this like fictional character that this random guy mm-hmm. created Based on his idea of what's yeah. attractive. Yeah. 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 And he wasn't even influenced full, our whole culture. And he like wasn't even full Filipino, you know, by the way. <laughs> and he wasn't. Like, we that. celebrate him as a hero, you know, and he has like yeah. some good quotes, I guess, but still. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I, there are pros and cons to his story, of course, but I think that the fact that, you know, we have really used his idea of Maria Clara as like the poster child for like the perfect Filipino or the ideal Filipina is just ridiculous. So many centuries and generations later where it's like, clearly we encompass so much more of that. And again, thankful for things like social media, podcasts, the new kind of widespread awareness that's being spread in academia for kind of trying to change that and evolve that, that theory, because it's so deeply ingrained. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure I got my facts right. Yes, Jose Resolve was mixed, <laughs> just in case. I was like, Very I'm pretty cool. sure I didn't case. know that. <laughs> yeah, and actually, from what I heard, and you, you all let me know if you know, it was actually America that kind of propped him up to be the national hero because nope. they wanted, you know, the indigenous people and the citizens, the Filipino citizens to model after him. But it's like, how can you model after? So it's like, okay, so I have to be lighter skin. Like it's more ideal to be mestiza or mestizo. You know, it's, it's just quite 
quite fascinating to witness. One thing I want to say that I feel like I'm most proud of is for a very long time, I keep telling myself that I want to dye my hair. Like, I don't know why, but I keep telling myself I want to dye my hair blonde or I want to like give myself like an, I mean, I think an ombre would be pretty cute, you know, so it's like brown, like highlights at the end of my hair. But part of why I've always felt compelled. Like I've only, I've only like given myself like highlights once. And it was like in, it was like in high school, it was like forever ago. And it looked really bad once the red went away and it was just like bleach. (laughs) It was just, but one thing that I feel very adamant about is keeping my hair black, you know, because I feel like, you know, I feel like I've run into a lot of just Filipino women who have like dyed their hair, like, because they felt like the color of their hair wasn't pretty enough. They want, like you said, they want to be more Eurocentric, in a sense. And so obviously not to, I'm not knocking anyone that like does that obviously, because I still think that once I have gray hair, I'll consider dyeing my hair like my mom did. But, you know, a personal pride point for me is like, every time I want to reconstruct my hair, it's like, you know what, I'm just going to shave my head. Like, just because like, I mean, like have my (laughs) side cut because like, that's me, but like, I like keeping it black. And although she's not Filipino, someone that I really admire is Ali Wong, who, you know, just had solid black hair in mainstream media. I just, I'm just like, oh, thank you for making, like normalizing this color of hair because it's beautiful. It's a beautiful color. Yeah. I just want to say, oh, no, on. sorry. I just wanted to comment on Ali Wong for a second because I absolutely love her too. And I was just watching her always be my maybe yeah, movie on Netflix the other day for like the sixth time. <laughs> I, love uh, I just want to say all of her hairstyles in that movie are like so impressive. I just love them. Yeah. She is like the hair queen to me. <laughs> yeah. It's like she just has a way to rock her black solid hair. And I absolutely yeah, love and it that. Looks beautiful. But yeah. go on, Justine. Yeah. Oh yeah, I think it'll always be my maybe. It's I love that film. I could like extract it to its very core. Like how yes. it, it, like it's subtle, but like it really defies a lot of the stereotypes that people put Asians in. Like mm-hmm. it's a great movie. It's Way better so than Crazy Rich Asians, in my opinion. Oh yeah. <laughs> different. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. But it's funny you bring up hair because one thing I'm proud of is not straightening my hair anymore. Mm-hmm. I think curly hair or like wavy hair. I have naturally like wavy hair and I had yeah, really straight hair as a kid. Yeah. And it became curly and wavy as I grew up mm-hmm. and my family always hated it. They were like, Oh my God, your hair is so no, like frizzled. And like, why uh, do you look yeah. like that? Like it's, yeah. it has to be like stick straight and you know, that's how it's supposed to be. That's how beauty is supposed to be, right? And I never realized like where that is rooted from. But after like much contemplation with my own poetry and like doing research on indigenous communities in the Philippines, it's like, it's because like people have been trained in the Philippines to kind of be disgusted by indigenous people who have naturally curly hair oh Um, yeah so something damn i didn't know that yeah Mm -hmm. it's it's rooted really deep but you know it's not a surprise where you have like even conditioners are like colonized like i have my conditioner for the longest time was the cream silk super straight Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it made like your hair straighter never worked for me but (laughs) yeah that's all just advertising (laughs) yeah right but yeah, it's, that's something I'm proud of is like yeah. being proud of my curly hair. And every time my family's like, oh, you should get a rebond. I'm like, no, I like my hair. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Nani, I thought I'd ask you since, um, you know, I shared what I'm proud of or what I've maintained. And I know Justine has anything that you're proud of, of maintaining for yourself as, as a Panay? 
Oh God, no. To be completely transparent, I dye my hair darker because it's actually, I've been dyeing my hair for so long and I've dyed it all kinds of colors. I've dyed it blonde. I've dyed it pink. Mm -hmm. I've dyed it all the shades of brown. I've dyed it black. (laughs) Uh, I just like to be creative with my my cosmetics, but now I intentionally dye it darker because I don't want to look more Eurocentric. (laughs) I specifically try not to. So, you know, I think I've talked maybe on the podcast, maybe not on the podcast to you, Jen, before, or maybe in an email thread, wherever it was about my history with like tanning my skin and feeling like that was like a necessity for me because I could just not bear being this pale. And now in my adult, more mature life, I'm trying to embrace it and learn how to live with it. But I have definitely had kind of the opposite struggles of like not feeling like I fit into the Filipino American community because of how white I look because of my mixed heritage. And I've actually gone as far as to perm my hair to make it curly Wow! Um, so much so to the point where I was in high school that it all fell out and I had like three bald spots on my head so I don't do that anymore I embrace my straight hair but yeah I've gone through a lot with my (laughs) with my hair (laughs) well I mean I asked that question in a way if you wanted to share another aspect of you know why you're proud to be Panay I didn't want to like make you feel bad is this kind of my goal kind of thing but no it's okay yeah but I do like I know that we talked about that via email so it actually means a lot to me that you wanted to share it publicly here because I know that's something that yeah you just you wanted to share on a more personal level so I appreciate you sharing that and I know that's something that people get you know white people at least or light-skinned people get criticized for now is like oh now you want to be tan and blah blah blah. (laughs) but it's like no I grew up always feeling like I hated my skin and the fact the instant that I knew tanning beds were a thing I started doing that so that I could feel like I did fit in with my own family, you know? So that is something that's really deep rooted for me and something that I've had to work through for many, many years. (laughs) As someone who is also very pale for being Filipino, I totally relate to that. But I've found over the years, like, there's also like a really huge privilege of being light-skinned. Like even when I went to the Philippines, I've noticed that I was always treated better by like customer service or like my other relatives compared to my cousins who were darker than me. There's always like a comparison, like, oh, why can't you be as light as your Ate Justine, you know? And I found that we have a huge role in kind of taking down that phobia of being darker, mm-hmm. of you know, embracing the range that Filipino women come in, you know? Yeah. So we have a huge role in it. And I've also learned to love my skin for who I am while also uplifting, celebrating and amplifying like the love of brown skin. Yeah. And the truth is everybody interprets that differently. You know, some people Mm -hmm. will praise you for having lighter skin and some people will criticize you for it. So it really, it just going through that for so many years has just kind of solidified in me like I really need to develop how I feel about my skin not how other people feel about it and own how I look no matter what that is you know without all the stuff the hair dye and the tanning beds and all that and again that's been you know a huge struggle for me as someone who has spent a lot of time in the cosmetics industry specifically and also feeling like you know I'm straddling the hyphen between being (laughs) Filipino and being American and never being enough of either that is kind of two of the strongest like markers for me in what always sets me apart. So again, everyone interprets it differently and 
places different value on what you look like. And what's really more important to learn is how you feel about yourself and how you own the way that you look, no matter what that is. I have a few Filipino friends in, at UCLA who are mixed Filipino, mixed Chinese, mixed white. And they all shared the personal struggle of not really belonging to one or the other and feeling like they had to create their own box and mm-hmm. feeling mm-hmm. guilty almost for having features that were so desired and praised in the community yeah. and not knowing how to reconcile with that and not knowing how to empower other people who are being kind of berated for their own features. Mm-hmm. It's a really good conversation to have and it takes years to really kind of find out how to do that. But yeah, yeah. that's I, another reason I'm... Thank you. Yeah, no, that's another reason I'm grateful to social media and kind of the way that we spread information these days in the 21st century or whatever century it is now is the fact that I can see like, oh, there are light-skinned Filipinas that look like me that are the same color as me, but they don't feel any less Filipino because of that, you Mm -hmm. know? Or there are Filipinas Mm -hmm. that have lighter hair and they are still Filipino. Like that doesn't have to be taken away from me. And it's like, you just realize more and more, oh, I'm doing that to myself, you know? Yeah, yeah. I I feel like the easiest way to kind of, to wrap this up for our listeners is, I think we were given this impression that the grass is always greener on the other side. Like we look at whatever features other people have and we think, oh, if I had that, I would always want what you don't have. Yeah. And the truth is, (laughs) yeah. And the truth is the grass is greener where you water it. Right. Like you got to own what you have because like that's what you got, you know, so you, you know, you're going to be stuck with it. You might as well make the most of it. Right. And so, so I think that's kind of a way that I want to sort of wrap up this conversation or summarize it based on how I've been hearing you two engaging with one another. I've kind of just really been enjoying listening a lot today, to be quite honest, (laughs) but, but yeah, we do have to uh, wrap up in about like 10 minutes or so here. So let me go ahead and shift gears here and get to one of my most favorite questions of our conversation. I mean, I've enjoyed the entire conversation this whole time, but I always like to end with sharing a life lesson because I feel like it's a good way to always end our conversation on a very positive note and something that's like sort of tangible that people can walk away with and be like, oh, I'm going to keep this life lesson in mind for like the rest of the day, rest of the week, et cetera. So Justine, you have shared here that you've always loved the quote, to live is the rarest thing in the world. Most people exist, that is all, by Oscar Wilde. Tell us a little bit more about that quote and what does it mean for you and what aspect of your life or when did you kind of come to like owning or really embracing this quote? Yeah, so as like the oldest daughter and like the oldest of all my siblings and kind of the first grandchild, I was always you know, put on this pedestal of like, oh my gosh, she's going to be the smartest. She's going to be like the model child. Like everyone's going to look up to her and she's going to be perfect. And I want my children to be just like her. So for a while I I developed like this kind of people pleasing kind of mentality where I always did things and accomplished things for the happiness and benefit of others, whether it be my grandparents or my parents or my uncles and aunts in the Philippines or whoever, I've always felt like I had to impress them, like be enough to kind of influence their children and be an inspiration or whatever. Mm -hmm. And 
because of that, I never really took risk. I never really did the things that I truly enjoyed. I never voiced my opinion or talked back or just because I was so scared that I would destroy other people's expectations of of me, you know, and I realized that I wasn't living a life for myself. I was living a life for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't pursuing anything that I loved. It's like when your parents or your aunts or something like tell you like, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? My mind already went to, well, I want to be a doctor, nurse or a lawyer. I never right. really wanted to be any of those things, but that's right. what my mind automatically went to because I knew I would get a great reaction out of it. Right. Whether and like now when people ask me that, I'm like, oh, I'm going to I'm a poet. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to be a doctor or a lawyer. I'm a poet. And people's reactions are not as nice, but it feels good to me because that's who I am. Mm-hmm. So my biggest ad- advice, I guess, is to begin living for yourself instead of existing for others. Express your opinion, stand your ground, like really dive deep into what you believe in and express your opinion, stand your ground, like speak out loud, start difficult conversations with your family members, even though they may attack you back, present the facts, know that your emotional responses are valid and don't be afraid to fail and fail and fail again, because that's to your own benefit and you don't exist for other people's happiness. You exist for your own happiness. And that's why I really love that quote. And I hope to live by it for the rest of my life because now I know who I am and I've never felt happier. Yeah. I love that. I think that's just the constant internal struggle that we go through being Filipino and American is in general, being Filipino is about having that collectivist mindset. It's about saying like, what do we want or what are we going to do together? What's best for us? Where Mm -hmm. in America, we're taught to be very individualistic, chase our dreams, do what we really want to do, you know? And so learning to cross that bridge and also still like honor and love your family is hard because the way that I see it is that, and, and this took a long time for me because, you know, I'm not very close to a lot of my, like, I, I know I have a big family, but I'm not very close to them because I set healthy boundaries, but it was at the expense of being around my family. But in that transition for myself, looking back at it all, I realized that part of why it was so hard, I think, to set those boundaries and to try not to please them is because they were kind of my sense of survival and security, right? And so if you take that, I think almost like trying to put yourself first is almost like facing death in a sense. It's like, it's like you're kind of giving up like your kind of like that fuel that keeps you alive, which is like your family, your sense of security. So, you know, it's hard. It's a real struggle to find that balance and be like, I'm going to do this for me. And you will see in the long run that it's going to benefit you too. You have to believe that, you know, like you, you need to believe that. And if you don't get it now, like, I'm sorry, I love you. I hope this makes sense one day, you know? And I just say this because I have like one of my cousins that hasn't spoken to me in like a decade. (laughs) So is like messaging me on social media right now. He doesn't listen to this show, right? (laughs) We'll find out. We'll find out. I'm not going to identify the gender. So I'm going to keep it very vague. But this, this relative I haven't spoken to in a very long time. And all of a sudden, they're communicating with me on social media as if we've been best friends. And I'm like, 
what is going on here? Like, I feel very conflicted. I've decided I was telling Scott this. I was like, I'm going to give this person my number. We're going to get on a call. And the first thing I'm going to ask is what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? We haven't spoken a decade and you're acting like, you know, we've been like best friends forever, you know? Anyway, that's just on my mind right now. But yeah, I think going, reeling it back in, I think that's probably the fear, right? Of like, it's, it's almost like a life and death situation to put yourself first, right? Because we've never been taught that. And, you know, with everything in our history has shown us that even if you do try to pursue things for yourself, you're only going to get so far. But I do love just your word of wisdom. And everything we've been talking about at this point is being aware that we can change, we can make a difference. And it does start with putting ourselves first. And in putting ourselves first, it doesn't just benefit us, but it will benefit our loved ones. I think the problem with trying to be a role model for your family is that you almost like, like you model to them that they have to be perfect. And so they think they have to be perfect. And that's not good for anyone, right? Like I remember like in high school, actually when I finished high school and I was in college already, my sister went like followed me into high school. So she's five years younger than me. And I remember the first week she was crying. Like it was already her first week in high school. I think first week or two in high school. And um, I was like, what's going on? And she's all like, because, you know, I, I knew all the coaches there, like people already knew me there by the time I left. Right. And so she was all like, well, I can't fill in your shoes. Like I can't do what you did in high school. And I was like, you know, Josephine, like y'all already heard about her in a previous interview. So I can call it, I can say these things. And she listened to the show. I love you, sister. But yeah, when she said that, I was like, I, I never wanted to give off that impression that you had to be like me, you know, like, like I was just trying to be the best version of me. You know, I didn't say that at the time, but I'm, I'm kind of summarizing what I meant in that time. And it's so cool to see where she is today, just fully embracing who she is and who she wants to be, you yeah. know? And so trying to be that perfect role model for other people, I think it's just so much more detrimental than we actually think. But we don't yeah. know, we don't know otherwise until you get to a place like you did, Justine, you're yeah. like, I'm not going to do that anymore. That doesn't serve me and that doesn't serve you. So yeah. I'm going to stop that. Yeah. I mean, like that was one of the main reasons why I was so hesitant to publish a book when like this publishing company came to me because I had years of kind of poetry experience. I was like performing slam poetry, writing okay. poetry and a part of a lot of organizations and stuff. But I was always hesitant to write a book because then my opinions would be on paper and my right. relatives could actually use that against me. And like, wow. yeah, I don't know, like girls tell my parents like, oh my gosh, she's a <laughs> radical. Like, what do you, like, who did you raise, you know? <laughs> yeah. But to a certain point, I was like, this is who I am. This is what I believe. And you're just going to have to deal with it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and now I feel just so free and unafraid of anything. And a part of it is understanding that yes our culture has this kind of sense of respect to the elders right Mm -hmm. but there's also a need for communication and understanding on both sides which is something i've learned throughout this through the political havoc of 2020 Mm -hmm. um, and the conversations difficult conversations i've engaged in with my relatives Um, it was surprising to them that i would even talk back or express these opinions to them because i never did for Mm -hmm. so long and all of a sudden here i am Mm-hmm. So yes, express your it. opinions. <laughs> I love it so much. Yeah, I feel like part of like why I'm very transparent on the shows because I arrived to a place where I told myself that I didn't like, I don't know why I had my family's like voices in my head. I don't know why they were t- like, I don't know why I was listening to them um, and, and stopping myself. And I'm just like, you know what? If they have a problem with it, 
they'll reach out to me. And historically, they have not. So I'm going to keep going. <laughs> I'm going to keep going and we'll see what happens. But, you know, I definitely come from a family where it's very much like stay within the lines and, you know, do what you're told and, you know, fit in and stuff like that. And of course that works for them. And I'm very happy for that. It did not work for me and that's it. It just didn't. And that's not right. It's not about, it's not right or wrong. It just is uh, just like what you bless said, you. Justine, bless you. Just like what you said, Justine, it's like, I just have to like, it's just about focusing on being the best version of yourself in the mm-hmm. way that makes you happy. And I think that's kind of the theme of our conversation today, y'all. Yeah. Well, I think that's all we have to share today. Uh, Justine, any closing thoughts from you or, or Nani, anything from you? Yeah. Um, um, me. I'm okay. Yeah. No, I okay, just cool. want to say that, you know, and just talking to you today, I would never have guessed that you're 22. You're just so <laughs> like wise and mature. And I know we just like met today, but I'm just so proud of you for being able to like step outside of all of those narratives that <laughs> have kept us all kind of chained in these boxes for so long and really explore your own authentic narrative and like live by that. It's just really mm-hmm. inspiring. So I hope that um, everyone goes and gets a copy of your book um, and reaches out to you on Instagram or wherever you told everyone to reach out to you. Because I think that you're just a wealth of knowledge that we can all learn a lot from. Oh, thank you, Nani. It's a product of the community and I wouldn't mm. be here without people like you who are constantly educating members of our community. So I thank you for bringing me here today. I will definitely read your blogs, Nani. Yeah. <laughs> No, it was a pleasure having you. Thank you so much. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Justine, so much for joining us. So remind people one more time. I know I mentioned it in the beginning, but let our listeners know how they can get a hold of you if they want to reach out. Yeah. So you can follow my poetry Instagram at poetry, or my personal Instagram is also linked to my poetry Instagram, but that's Justine with a Y at dot. You can say it again. (laughs) (laughs) At Justine with a Y dot R on Instagram. So yeah, I'd love to have conversations with people. Yeah, yeah. I think we'll continue to carry on this conversation. All right, ladies, this was a ton of fun. And again, to our listeners, remember how you can reach out to Justine. And if you forgot, it's in the show notes. You're welcome. Or you can visit our website, tfawproject.com. Or if you just want to connect with Nani and I directly, we do have our emails in the show notes. Uh, But you could also text us at 415-484-8329. With that said, thank you all so much for joining us. We love you. I feel like 2021, Nani, has just been like a year of deeper conversations like deeper real raw conversations and i'm here for all of it yes we have hit the ground running and we (laughs) don't have plans to stop (laughs) that's right that's right all right everyone thanks again and we'll we'll see you in the next episode tune in next time bye